Well, good morning again. All right. Are there, um, ra- random Thanksgiving question, are there any turkey haters out there? Just one. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Um, I, I love Thanksgiving. Um, I, love, I love all the food. I love all the family. I, I love the fun times that we get to have celebrating together. And yeah, thanks gathering service. Um, if, if you weren't able to join us this year, man, you missed a powerful, fun service. And, and I hope that next year you get to, to join us. Um, one of the letter writers referred to me as the prettiest one in the room. And I was just like, that's right. Here we go. But it was, uh, it was fun. I mean, there was, there was laughing, there were tears, but it was so special to hear people open up about what they were thankful for, what they are thankful for to God. So I hope everyone can join us for that next year. And on the, the harvest offering note, if you weren't able to give today, there will be envelopes um, in the back of the room if you want to give uh, continuing weeks. We'll be receiving this offering throughout the rest of the year. So if you want to give in person or online, you'll still have that opportunity. It's not like, oh man, I missed it. It's something that people have given to throughout the course of the year. So that'll always be available for you. Just make sure you grab an envelope that says harvest offering on it or you write harvest on there. All right. Open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Well, so with, uh, with Thanksgiving being over, um, we are now in the Christmas season. Um, okay, Christmas, who's, is there anyone's favorite holiday, Christmas? All right, much more of you than Thanksgiving. That's all right, I guess. But uh, Christmas, Christmas is awesome. We got our tree um, in the rain on Friday, and we, we were contemplating, you know, getting a U-cut or a pre-cut, and then it was raining and muddy, so I said pre-cut. But it's, uh, I love Christmas. I love the decorations and, and the environment, and, and I love an, another huge thank you to everyone who came and helped put Christmas stuff up here today. And, and a special shout out to, to Tara Tang. I mean, this, these turned out awesome, and I love them so much. Thank you. But this, this Christmas season, we're going uh, to spend some time reading about what Jesus was referred to even before he was born. And Jesus is referred to specifically in four names that you see behind me here. And we're going to read about those in Isaiah chapter 9. But before we read Isaiah chapter 9, um, in, in this season, uh, we, we have one of the most incredible and one of the most recognizable pieces of music gets played. Not Mariah Carey, but that's up there. But, but an incredible piece of music, um, Hendel's Messiah. Um, people that, that don't go to church know Hendel's Messiah. And a lot of us um, maybe know, you, you recognize the song, you know, especially the hallelujah, you know, just the declaration of hallelujah and he will reign. But it's become so, fam- so famous and so well-loved that the world knows this song. And, and, and in, the, in every performance, there's the pinnacle that, that comes when the whole chorus shouts out, for he shall reign forever and ever. And this morning, we're going we're gonna to look at some of the text, actually, where, where this song came from, about this baby who was going to be born in Bethlehem, and how this is a, must, a very much needed element in story, and even song, because of what it says in our world today. Now, as an introduction to the series, I want to read you the full text which Hendel wrote this Hallelujah Chorus. So Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, and it says this. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephalti, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in the darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of a death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. 
They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel in the fire. In other words, the, the garments that will be used for war, and can be, war will be thrown away because there'll be no more war. And then he says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. Man, dur during this Christmas season, I think we, we need these words. We, we need to know who Jesus is, who it was, who he was prophesied to be, this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, this prince of peace. Who doesn't want more peace in their life, right? The Prince of Peace. And, and when, when he says these things, I know that we need, a, uh, we need this hope. And I believe that one day the work that began in Bethlehem will be fulfilled when Jesus comes back and there will be no more war. There will be this overwhelming rule of Jesus in peace because Jesus will be here with us. In the meantime, as, as we work towards this, I know that we can rely on the word of God. We can rely on the Holy Spirit to fuel us and fill us with this peace as we wait, with his wonderful counsel, with his might. And all of this comes in a way that surpasses all of our comprehension. And, and I, around this season, a, a lot of things start, start coming true for me. I, I, I start thinking about things. And I, I start thinking, man, what I wouldn't give for a different pace of life sometimes. A, a different pace. Maybe a slower pace or a more steady pace. Um, I know around this, this time in the season, I want to be around friends and family even more. And that's saying a lot because I always want to be around friends and family. But even more, I want to be around friends and family. I want to watch the, the fire in a fireplace, sipping on my hot cocoa, not coffee, um, eat some good food, share some fun memories with, with family and kids, dream about the good things that are happening. Um, I, I shared that with some people this morning that we watched Home Alone last night, and my kids are at the age to where when the robbers are break into the house, man, they have the deep belly laugh that comes every time something falls on their heads, you know, and just, it's, it's so, those memories, I love these things. I love this season. But above all, in the middle of all this, I want to feel close to God. I, I, I want my closest to God to surpass everything in the season. And I don't think it's just me that feels these things. I know, and when we talk to people about traditions and memories, a lot of them revolve around friends and family and the, the joy of the season, right? We want this joy. We want this peace. And at least if you don't want all those things, you want some of those things. But I think in, inside all of our skin, there's something that wants warmth. There's something that wants security. There's something that wants to, to be able to say, Jesus, I want you to do this for me. Even people that don't know Jesus want this warmth. And they want the security and they want this peace that only he can bring. And there's no better place for us to look than piece by piece the story of Jesus coming to us. The gift God brought us when he delivered his son into the womb of a woman in Bethlehem. Because imagine, imagine if, if, if you could, imagine if you really understood what God wanted for you, like beyond the shadow of a doubt, how would it change your life? If you really understood all the names that God has given, all the names Jesus came to fulfill, if you understood everything and applied it, what would change? Would it bring about more joy? Would it bring about more peace? 
can only imagine the clarity I may have, the, the, the courage we may get knowing this is exactly what Jesus is and I know exactly how it applies to me, I think it would change things for us. And I think that if that happened for us, we couldn't wait to tell everybody about it, right? And I think we, we see that in Isaiah. We see God so excited that his son is coming that he can't wait to tell people. God couldn't wait. I mean, in Isaiah 9, 6, he breaks down the names of Jesus. But you see, he doesn't just say, when Jesus was born, my son has come. This text in Isaiah was written 700 years before Jesus was born. 700 years before he's born, God is so excited. He, he goes to Isaiah, he's like, Isaiah, you've got to write this down. Isaiah, you got to tell people, my son is coming, and he is going to be incredible. He is going, this is what he's going to be like, Isaiah. Tell, tell the world, he's going to be a wonderful counselor. He's going to be a mighty God. He's going to be an everlasting father, and he's going to be a prince of peace to everyone. That's an excited dad, right? 700 years before the birth of his son, he's saying, tell the world this. He is coming, and this is what he will be. 700 years, the news about his son was out before he ever arrived. How's that for being excited? That's real exciting, right? Have you ever had that moment as a kid where, where your parents tell you something and you can't wait to share it with everybody? Um, like, like a vacation is coming up. You know, you, you tell your kids you're going on vacation, then sure enough, you're, the kids are telling everyone you're going on vacation. Or maybe your parents told you that one year, you're going to go on vacation, and you just get so excited, you have to tell everybody. I remember when, when we told our kids for when we went to Disneyland, they, I mean, the next day, the school knew the Warfords are going to Disneyland because our kids went nuts with it. I remember when I was a kid, my parents told me that we were going to come. We, we lived in California. We were going up to Oregon. We were going to visit my grandpa who lived in Bend. And we were going to spend a whole week in Oregon. We were going to visit Crater Lake. We were going to visit the Sisters Mountains. We were going through Oregon. It was going to be so fun. You know what one of the best parts of this trip was? I got to miss school for a week. Yeah, I was excited to see my grandpa. I was excited to see family, but man, for a couple months, they told us a couple months ahead of time is what we're going to do. I was spreading the word I was missing five days of school because I was going on vacation. That was so exciting for me. I was so excited, probably a little more about missing school at that point, right? But as early as 700 years ahead of time, God was getting so excited, I believe, about the difference his son was going to make that he was telling people about it. And he was telling people to write it down so they could tell people about it. We know from historical records that Isaiah lived from about 760 to 680 BC. And the book of Isaiah was written around 700 BC. And I was, as I was thinking about that, it occurred to me that during these next four weeks, we're going to go into um, some, some history. And, and it's going to be, I think, some spiritually sensitive people we're going to read about over these past 27 centuries they got to experience one of these elements of Jesus and what he was bringing. And long before Hendel ever wrote this song, Hendel's Messiah, there were people who felt like they were in darkness that were looking at the description of God's son and saying, this helps me. So read this verse again, Isaiah 9, 6, the part where Isaiah lists out who Jesus is going to be. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. If that's not one of the most comforting things you can read right now, right? The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Every now and then you come across people who, who wonder how the Bible can be true. I think we've all talked to people that say that, right? Like, how can this possibly be true? Everything that was written in it, how can you believe it's true? But here, here's some fun facts about, in particular, this passage. It was written 700 years before Jesus was born. 
a copy of this has been on display in the Tel Aviv from 100 years before Jesus was born in Israel. The Bible spelled out 700 years ahead of time that a child would be born and he would bear the son, the God's son, he would bear the responsibility of governing mankind and then find out that the Old Testament has 300 other prophecies about Christ that are fulfilled in the New Testament. When people start putting this together, questions go from how could the Bible be true to how could this book not be true for all of this to encompass together, to be so accurate that far in advance. And we get it through to today. And we come across an amazing line in this. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. A wonderful counselor. And we're going to talk through that phrase today. What does it mean when Jesus is referred to as a wonderful counselor? Because I think we all have things in our minds, right? Um, we, we see counselors. There's, there's professional counselors. Um, and when you're in school, you have your, your school counselor. So the word counselor can mean a whole lot of different things. But there's something very specific it refers to in here in Scripture. But I hope that as we go through it today, you can appreciate the wonder of what this word means. And, and just to give you your, your, your full money's worth today, right? Isaiah didn't write this book in English. Shocker. Spoiler, right? Isaiah didn't write this in English. He wrote this book in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word for wonderful counselor is Pele Yohetz. Pele Yohetz. That's, that's what's translated to wonderful counselor. And Pele means wonderful, that word alone means wonderful, but it goes beyond that. We see this word dozens of times in the Old Testament, and it means wonderful in a much different sense. It means wonderful. So Pele, wonderful, means a cut above or better than anyone else could expect to do. A cut above or better than anyone else could expect to do. It usually describes something then that only God can do. So when you see this in Scripture, that's what it's referring to. Wonderful. Only God could have done this thing. Jacob uses, or Job uses this word when he says that God, in Job 9.10, he says, God performs wonders that cannot be unfathomed, unfathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. That's that Pele coming in, wonders that only God can do. And David says this in Psalm 86.10, he says, you are great and do marvelous deeds, you alone are God. And that word marvelous right there is translated from Pele. So only God can do these things. So, so you see the sense of the power of, of the original translation, right? Not just wonderful, but above everything. Now, yohetz means counselor. But in our day and age, like I said, we, we think of counselors in different lights. Um, I, I know counselors, when, when you think of counselors nowadays, um, you can probably think of someone sitting across the room from you as you're you know, sitting down or laying on a chair and they're asking you about your childhood and, and how does that make you feel. And I'm not, not downplaying counselors at all. Counselors are incredible at what they do. And um, I, I've seen and experienced counselors that just have changed lives in phenomenal ways. But that's, that's a typical what we so when we hear the phrase "go see a counselor" or "I need to see a counselor," that's what we envision, right? The the one-on-one -on -one person digging into all the issues, bringing out something that oh, here's here's really what's going on. They they really dig into your life in a great way. But up until about a little over a hundred years ago, this was not counseling. Up until about a hundred years ago, the modern science of psychology was developed, and Sigmund Freud went out and got his patients a couch and kind of revolutionized the psychology of counseling. Counselors, way back before then, they were not therapists. You know what counselors were? Especially counselors back in, in Bible times? They weren't therapists, they were strategists. 
They were people that would, would counsel advice. They would give advice how to run a war, how to win this political campaign, how to organize a new business venture. They, did, they didn't back then listen to your inner child and dig deep. It was strategy on what to do right now, how to overcome a trial right in front of you. They would advise kings or another person on the importance of the best course of action to take right now. What is something you need to shift or change right now to do this based on the circumstances you are facing? So yohets, when we look at it in scriptural times, it means to give advice or to guide. So we have this wonderful advice-guiding counselor. In biblical times, again, much more powerful than what we look at today. And in Luke 19, we're gonna see, we're gonna see Jesus in a very busy moment in his life come across three circumstances where he gives some incredible, wonderful counsel three times in a row that only he can do. And I know that the, the counsel of God changes so many things. I mean, before this, before this story even, he comes up to um, a man named Zacchaeus. And he, he helps Zacchaeus see what type of business he's running and helps give him counsel that shifts his entire business and changes his heart for God. See, when, when God comes and gives you counsel, it's so much better that it shifts things that you may not even know need shifting. I know that before I really gave myself to God, I wasn't experiencing all of God's input in my life. You know, I was, I was a teenager doing teenage things. Now, I, I didn't rebel against, you know, what my, my family, but, but there were things I know that I wasn't doing right. And in my teenage years, I know I saw God's counsel start to steer me and direct me to where I am today. I know that he helped steer me away from destructive groups of friends, that I knew that if I did what these friends are doing, if I went down this path that all my friends were going, it was not going to lead to life. It was going to lead to destruction. I know I experienced God's counsel when I was trying to figure out my career in sports. Now, I told you guys that I was going to play baseball and I was going to win the World Series single-handedly. It was going to be great. But when I was trying to figure out my career in sports, God gave me counsel. And he taught me and counseled me and guided me into a career in ministry. As I was trying to figure out what college to attend and what degree to pursue, one day I had a very clear leading from him where God said, hey, before you go to Bible school, go to the secular school, get a business degree. And I can't tell you how much that business degree has helped me organize and run ministry and now church. And I also met my wife, so it was a great counsel from God to go to that school. During my college years, I dated, but God made it clear to me that they weren't the ones until I met my bride. After Stephanie and I got married, we never had plans to leave the Bay Area in California. Never. We thought we would be there for the rest of our lives. I thought I would become a lead pastor at a church down there. <clears throat> when we were dating, I told her I was never going to be a lead pastor. I tricked her. Not on purpose. But God counseled my life and grew me. He worked in me and guided me until one day I get a random email from Pastor Chris Hansel that says, Celebration Center, I couldn't pronounce the word. But God gave me counsel and worked in me. And he showed me that this is what he had for me. And can you believe that it was just a week ago, last Sunday was two years that I stood here and gave my first sermon and you guys voted on me. What a ride it has been. But that's all with God's counsel and God's guidance. It, God has been the most wonderful counselor to me. And he, he's got, the guidance he's given me in my life has been a cut above all the other guidance I could possibly receive. Better than anyone else, better than anything I could expect. He's counseled me on my marriage and how I treat my wife. He's counseled me on my, my words and what I let come out of my mouth. My mind, the things that I feed into it and the things that I let play in it. He counsels me daily about the handing, handling of my personal affairs, my money, my, my, my stuff, 
my generosity, the way I'm going, the way I'm raising my kids, how I lead a church. And a few years, a few years into Jesus' ministry, we're going to read now these, these passages in Luke, I think I said 19, chapter 8, sorry, Luke chapter 8, where we're going to see Jesus in three ways, three different circumstances, one after another, give wonderful counsel that is a cut above and why he is the wonderful counselor. We're now, in Luke 8, 38, we see this. There's the man, oh, we see Jesus come, and he had just cured a man who was possessed with demons. This man was filled with demons. Jesus has cast the demons out. This man has new life, and he wants to come with Jesus. It says this, the man who with, whom Jesus, with whom demons had gone out begged to go with him, Luke 8, 38. So this man's mind you know, was, was bogged down with demons. It's now clear he's free, and he sees the one who cleared it from him. He says, I see Jesus. I want to go with you. You are the one who you healed me. You cured me. I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to tell everybody what you did. Now, this guy's life was turned around. He wants to soak up everything he can from Jesus, and, and who wouldn't, right? I mean, you can imagine how the conversation goes. Hey, Jesus, I'll carry your bags. I'll, I'll pack the boat. I'll, I'll shine your shoes. I just want to be with you. I will do whatever it takes. Just let me be with you. And, and what would a normal teacher do in this situation? What would someone who, if you had someone say, hey, I want to be with you. I want to be a part of your team. I will do anything. What's the normal response? Yes. <laughs> right? I've got the gopher. The, they're, they're with me. And a normal teacher would say, yes. I'll start, start thinking of all the things that this person can do to help you. All the things this person can be a part of your team. The way they can enhance your team. The way they can lighten your load a little bit. And, and conversely, how helpful it would be to have another bag toter to set up and tear down. You know, we all need those people. Most teachers would say that. Stay with me. This would be the best place where you can learn and grow. Jesus doesn't say that. He says the total opposite. In 839, he says, But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. Translated. What Jesus is saying is, I applaud your desire to learn more. I appreciate your desire to help me. But you've been away from your family for a long, long time. They need you. You need them. Go home. Instead of lightening my load, lighten theirs. Instead of telling people you don't know about me, go back to the people you do know. Tell them about me. This is a total script flip, right, on what a counselor would do versus what a wonderful counselor would do. And the text completes the story by saying, so the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Other people might have given him different counsel. Other people might have said, Jesus, yes, we need him. He is on fire right now. He wants this. He wants to be around us. He'll do anything. Let's get him on our team. But Jesus says, no, I've got a better idea. Jesus' counsel was a cut above, better than anyone could expect from others. And the story continues. Immediately following that next day, it says, now Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. They were all expecting him. And the next verse says, that a man named Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. And I know that, um, I think it was last month or so, uh, Jen talked about this, and she talked about not being labeled by her sin, and she used this story, and she did a phenomenal job. And I think we see a lot with Jesus in this story. We're going to go through some more now, because this is an incredible story of this encounter Jesus has on the way to Jairus' house. So pause on this for a minute. Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, falls at Jesus' feet, pleading, saying, my daughter is dying. Imagine what Jairus is feeling right now. Put yourself in his shoes. Your child is dying. I, I can't even imagine. But he's there. And he goes to Jesus. He goes to this man because he knows Jesus can do something about it. 
The text says he's a leader in the religious setting, so he's, he's probably a fairly mature guy, wields some power and authority in the circles he's in, but he's helpless when it comes to his daughter. I know if you ha- if, even if you have a sick kid, I know for me as a parent, when one of my kids is sick and all I can do is give them some medicine and wait, it's, there's nothing worse than feeling like a helpless parent. Amplify that by whatever, because here is Jairus. His daughter is dying. He calls on the counselor Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm going to come. So now you're Jairus. You've got this counselor's full attention. He's coming with you, and you're hoping he's going to fix things. There's not much time. That's, the time is short. The time is now. But the next verse says, as he's on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. So now you're, you're, getting, you're getting condensed by the crowd. You're trying to fight your way through. And then there's a woman who has been subject to bleeding for 12 years, and no one can heal her. She's in this crowd. Because like everyone else, she's discovered that Jesus' abilities are a cut above. Word is spread. Jesus can do amazing things, wonderful things. She's hoping he can help her. And the next verse says, she came up behind him, touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. And so you see what just happened, right? She's hoping against hope that Jesus is going to be able to fix her. She works her way up to the crowd. She reaches past, and she knows if I just touch it, and she gives a tug on the robe, and she doesn't just get his attention. She doesn't just pull on his robe, and he doesn't turn around and say, yes, what can I do for you? Before he can even turn around, the minute she touches him, she's healed. That is a cut above it's all she could have hoped for, but it doesn't stop there. Jesus, in the midst of Jairus's panic, in the midst of his, I've got to get home to my daughter, you've got to heal her, Jesus stops. Worst news for Jairus, right? Why are we stopping? Jesus stops and says, who touched me? Jairus has got to be saying, come on, we've got no time to chat. Yes, someone touched you, it's great. Everyone's touching you, we've got to go. Jesus is not hurried. He stops in the middle of the road and he says, And the next sentence says, when they all denied it, Peter says, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. In other words, no one knows who touched you. Everybody's touching you. This is an introvert's worst nightmare. Everybody's around you. It's crowded. People, there's there's no social distancing right now. We are up against each other. Jairus is thinking, let's go, let's go. But Jesus says it again. Someone touched me. I know the power has gone out from me. At that point, if I'm Jairus, I'm thinking, all right, the power's done, they're healed, that's great, let's go. He still wants to go. But the text says that the woman, seeing she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had instantly been healed. Why would Jesus make her do something like this? Why wouldn't Jesus just be like, great, you're healed and keep going? He stops. He says this to her. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Jesus takes the time to stop and look at her and tell her something. You see, he wasn't just content with her knowing that her body was healed. He wanted her to know something more. He was interested in her heart. He wanted to give her some counsel. He wanted to leave her with some words where she wouldn't just say, yes, I saw him and my my body's healed. He wanted her to know your faith is strong. Your faith has healed you. It wasn't just a physical healing. This was a heart healing and heart affirmation for this woman. That was a cut above what doctors and physicians did back then. He says, Jesus, Jesus looks at her, it's like he's saying, you did good. You expressed faith in me. That expression healed you. And now as you go, don't just go with a healed body. Go with a healed heart. Go in peace. So you see what Jesus does. He's not helping people. He's not just helping people. He's helping them at the cut above beyond what's expected. And meanwhile, we still have this man crushed with worry. His daughter is still dying. And in the next verse, his worst nightmare comes real. 
Luke 8, 49 says, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, your daughter is dead. He said, don't bother the teacher anymore. Can't imagine how time stopped for that man. It's over. The one thing he was gonna do, he had all the hope in the world. He had Jesus in his hands, let's go. But Jesus stopped and now it's too late. The little girl is gone. What would you expect a normal counselor to do at this point? A normal counselor would probably say something along the lines of, I'm sorry, I wish I could have been there. I'm sorry I could have done something more. That, that's, that's counseling at the normal level, right? I wish we could have done more. I wish there was something we could do, but she's gone. But what kind of counsel does Jesus give? He goes above. Hearing this, Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. Is that good counsel? He's giving him hope. He's giving him hope. I mean, this is Jairus. He knows that Jesus can do something. And then continuing, it says this. He arrived at the house of Jairus. He did not let anyone go in except for Peter, Jane, Peter John, and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, the people are wailing and mourning. Stop wailing, Jesus says. She's not dead. She's asleep. How would you respond to that? How would you respond? Like, they said she's dead. By, by all intents and purposes, they've checked her pulse. She's gone. And Jesus says, she's sleeping. Well, how did they respond? They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But what kind of a counselor is Jesus? A cut above, right? He took her by the hand and said, child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Now, put yourself back in Jairus' shoes. At this point, what are you thinking? The word wonderful doesn't quite cut it, does it? The word wonderful means so much more according to us, but according to biblical times, wonderful meaning this is something only God could do. That word was perfect. This was a wonderful moment. This was the wonderful counselor. He's done more for Jairus than he could have hoped or imagined. He brought his daughter back from the dead. And at this point, you can expect Jesus to be like, and scene, you know, and exit the building, right? But he doesn't do that. Jesus does something even more wonderful at the end. Jesus told them, give her something to eat. Why would Jesus say this? Probably because she had been too weak to eat for several days. I mean, she was sick and dying. I know that in moments where we're sick, we, we don't eat lots, right? You just don't have the energy. You don't have the appetite. So she is there, and Jesus says, give her food. Her parents are probably crying and jumping and rejoicing and not even thinking about food at this moment. But Jesus does the well above average counselor. He says, there's one thing that is important, and this is a lesson that we all need to learn today. The woman is hungry. Give her food. Never forget that moment. Jesus went a cut above in all circumstances. 700 years before any of this would happen, God said, my son's gonna be wonderful. He's gonna give everyone more than they, what they need. He's gonna blow everybody's minds away because the word wonderful doesn't quite cut it. He's gonna be a counselor like no one has ever seen before. He's going to do things so well and so unexpectedly, I've gotta tell people so they can anticipate what he's going to do. Watch when it happens and let's celebrate it. And friends, what we get to do today, what we get to do this Christmas season is we get to anticipate leading up into Christmas Eve, anticipate leading into Christmas, anticipate the birth of Jesus. Yes, I know he was already born, but every year we get to do this. And then our challenge for us this year is not gonna be, oh, Christmas came and Christmas is gone. Our challenge is gonna be, hey, how can we anticipate this every day? How can we anticipate the goodness of God? How can we anticipate him being that wonderful counselor in my life every single day? Not just in the moments of the season, but all the time. What miracles do we need? What, what ways would we say, here's what I need, 
but how can Jesus blow our minds with how he can fulfill it? And that's our challenge this year. We get to celebrate the wonderfulness of God, things only he can do. I'd like to invite you to stand with me and invite the worship team back up this morning. And my hope is that uh, a couple things will happen for all of us as a result of, of coming here this morning. One is that uh, for the next month, we're not going to look at the manger the way we did before. When, when we see that now, now is the season of nativity scenes, right? We, we get to drive around, and some people put them in their yards. We've got the, the wise men who are there way too early, but we've got you know baby Jesus and Mary and the animals. We've got the nativity set up. But when we look at that, we don't just see the nativity and we see baby Jesus. We get to look at that. We get to say, hey, that's a wonderful counselor. We look at that manger scene and we say, that is a mighty God. We look and we say, that is our everlasting father. That is the prince of peace. He is all those things. God was saying it hundreds of years before, and we get to say it hundreds and thousands of years later. He was going to be those things. He is still those things. He will always be those things. Second is I'm hoping that from now until Christmas, you'll seek the counsel to Jesus. There's something in your life right now that's not going right. Something that you say, hey, I need prayer for. Something that you need a shift. A lot of us are going through hard things. A lot of people are going through marriage issues. People are going through kid issues, financial issues. This seems to be the season where, where everyone's saying, um, you know, please help me, please help me, or, or give. Or it's just, there's so much we can do. There's so many people asking for things. I would say that when you ask for something, start with saying, Jesus, counsel me first counsel me, and then what can I do? Because what he does in you is going to be above what anybody else can do. And whatever you do through him is going to be magnified, stronger than you could ever do on your own. Seek the counsel of Jesus. If you already have a relationship with Jesus, seek his counsel every single day. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you today, start one. Look at him. Just take that moment and say, say God, I, I don't know you but I hear how good you are and I want to see it. I want to experience it. Watch him give you advice. Watch him change your life in a way that only he can do. Ask Jesus for his perspective, not just his advice, but his hand and his guidance. Watch him be your wonderful counselor. Amen. God, you are so good. God, uh, in this season, there, there are so many things that, that the world needs, that we need, that people need but the things that only you can provide. And I thank you that, that when you step in, God, you, you make it very clear that you are in, that you are all in, in in a way that goes above and beyond the way anybody else could ever do anything. I thank you that you are wonderful, more wonderful than our, our vocabulary, our thoughts can comprehend. And I pray this season we experience your wonders, we experience your miracles, we experience your love, God. And this Christmas is just the best Christmas ever because we're fully relying on your counsel in our lives. So God, we thank you, we love you. And everybody said, amen.